Hello and welcome. I'm Herman Stewart and you are listening to Finding Your Path, the podcast where you will hear from our guests on how they found their path in life, family and their careers. Today, we'll be spending time with Natalie Bourne, who is the Vice President of Innovation for Territory Global, a strategy consultant and a storyteller. During this talk, Natalie has so much to share about her career journey, upbringing and challenges she has had to overcome. This is good, so let's dive in. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Finding Your Path, the podcast where I speak to leaders, achievers and celebrities around how they found their paths in life and success. And today I've got a great guest with us. She is a vice president of innovation. She's a strategy consultant and she's a storyteller. And I am just looking so forward to speak to this guest. And I have today with me, Natalie Bourne. Natalie, how are you today? Hi, Herman. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on your podcast. Listen, I am looking forward to us being able to dive in and have discussions. And, you know, like transatlantic discussions as well, because you are another international guest. And where are you speaking from today? So I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia, in the USA. Okay, good, good. And I always love having these kind of conversations because we can then touch base on some of the different norms, you know, the norms of thinking in the US, in the UK, some of the things that may be taboo in one country and are not in the other. So I find that just very interesting because we also see the commonality as well of the fact it don't matter where we are, we're all people and we're all on a journey as well. So I'm really excited about that, Natalie. I am too. Okay. So I know that you've done some great things. I know that you're operating at a strategic level. You're a vice president. You've been a senior vice president. You know, you're doing all these different things. You, you, you've had a few patents, under, you know, under, under the belt as well. And you are doing some great work. You're a wife, you're a mother, you're all these different things. But when you look at you and you consider yourself, who do you see? Yeah, gosh, who do I see when I look at myself? Um, and that's something I think is, is so important for all of us to really consider who we are. And I have to say that for me, I have to step back from the work I do, the achievements I've had, and I have to say, who am I strip, stripping all that stuff away? Who am I? Um, and I am someone that is just thrilled, <laughs> first and foremost, to just to be here and to be able to see people for who they truly are and to be able to um, experience life in the moment. And, and the, the reason I say that is because I used to always live for the future version of myself, um, but not really accepting who I was today. And I think the older you get, the more you realize this life is a journey. Mm-hmm. And it's not always about the destination. It's about it's about enjoying the journey along the way. Mm, that sounds like a very wise answer. You know, that sounds like you've you've taken a few years to be able to come to that conclusion. So that's, it's so great that you could say that. I mean, how long have you felt like that though? Um, 
because it's clear that he says that there was a time that you was just really living in the future. He's probably living at, you know, like the destination to destination, where I'm going, what I want to achieve. And what happened? I mean, did, was there an event? Did something happen that kind of created um, that moment that made you reflect? Or was it just something that has been a transition that you've just evolved into? Well, I, th I think it was a number of a series of events, a number of journeys. And it's interesting because um, growing up, I grew up in a neighborhood where I was the only minority. So I was very used to kind of being very different. And one of the things I always said was, you know, um, I'm going to show people that I can do something of value and I could do something of worth and I can be somebody. And I think I've spent most of my life chasing um achievements, mm. awards, mm. trophies, mm. success. Mm. And um, and I think it's cool because you get to a place when you're older where you have to stop. You know, you have to just, everyone gets there at some point. You, you might be 40, 50, 60, 70. I don't know when you'll get there, but everyone at some point in their life gets to this place where they kind of stop the, mm. the line and they say, who is this success for? <laughs> mm. And ultimately, what am I trying to achieve? Mm. And so the very thing that I was trying to achieve was I wanted, I wanted the, the people that, you know, I think discriminated against me because I was different. I wanted them to see me as successful. But I think one of the things I realized is unless I can see who I am and unless I can see myself, mm. it won't matter if I'm mm. successful to other people because you yourself have so many capacities within you. And so mm. oftentimes we're running this race for somebody else. We are looking back to see um, what other people think of us. There's this really funny joke that um, this commercial we have in the US mm. and it's this man on a lawnmower mm. and he's cutting his grass. And he said, and he has, is in front of this big house while he's cutting his grass. And he says, how do I do all this? Well, I'll tell you how I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. And mm. so the idea that he's living this life for someone else um, mm. and not living it for himself. And so he's he's kind of stretched his capacity in areas where he shouldn't be stretching himself. And mm. there's this point, and I think in all of our lives where we overcorrect and say, what matters? What's important? And I need to only do those things. Mm. And that's so true. That is so true. Um and I guess that that happens to many of us along our personal path as well, as well as our professional path. So you spoke about lots of different things that you've you've done in a sense of you were focused on achievements. That was the whole thing a lot of time, you know, and now become much more wiser, much more mature, much more um, focused on holistic success, you've been able to rein some of your efforts in and really focus it in the areas that mean a lot. But along the way, you've had a number of achievements. So could you just share a few things that you're proud of um, that you've achieved? Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, being, being a wife and a mom, I have two girls, 11 and five, and they are uh, absolutely fun and a joy to to be around and they keep me young. <laughs> mm. And then, you know, work-wise, I think as I step back and look at, you know, the career that I've had in, in corporate for the last 20 years, I mean, the ability to travel to 20 plus countries 
Um, gosh, that's something I'll never forget. The ability to engage with people of different backgrounds, different cultures, and really, um, you said this earlier, Herman, but to find what's common about us, even though we live miles and miles away, to find what's human and important about us, I think is is such an important part of all of our journeys. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, part of just being able to to create patents in areas of technology that um, that I was working on has been really fun as well. So I have two approved patents out there and then of course um, more to come. But um, just being able to be in that, that technology space, my background is technology. So um, having an idea and then seeing it all the way through to, to launch mm-hmm. is, um, it's very fulfilling to, to take something that was nothing and then you can see people getting value out of it later on. Wow. So, I mean, we need to break down some of that stuff. So traveling to 20 plus countries, could you name, list some of the countries that you've, you've worked in, that you've traveled yeah. to work? Wow. Yeah. So um, at one of the companies I was working with, we had this uh, agreement that once we became number one in the U.S., we were going to start to expand internationally. So mm. we went into some countries and we started organically. So we built a business from scratch, hired the teams. In other places, we actually acquired um, a company and then we would our team would come in and help flip them over to our platform in six months. So mm. some of those places I got to go was Spain, Greece, Romania, Sweden, um, the UK, the Netherlands, got to go to some really amazing places and, and mm. p- meet people that I still keep in touch with to this day. Mm. Um, but then also uh, when I moved to intercontinental hotels, they're based in uh, Denham in the UK. So okay. I was traveling there a lot for uh, for them. And then they also have a headquarters um, in Singapore and China. And so my normal path would be to go to the UK and then Singapore, China, and then kind of do that every quarter every six months so just Mm. got a love for other countries other cultures food Mm. um you name it I also spent a ton of time in India for my MBA program and then also for business as well so I um I not only love eating Indian food I love cooking it too so Mm. just being able to bring those different (laughs) cultures to to my family is is really neat Mm, wow and so so you're well so you're well traveled you know and that that's very powerful and and I guess I guess was that before the children or oh was of it, course yeah, <laughs> or you don't you know you'd have a very understanding husband you know well, I do. Down the fort, yeah you know I do and I'll say this though with my with my youngest I traveled pregnant with her to China uh, for no, sorry, Singapore first and then China. And when I'm pregnant, I get very large. Let me just be really clear. So <laughs> I looked like I was further along than I was. And they almost did not let me make the, the jump from Singapore to China. They were like trying to stop me and they would not let me go. <laughs> so I, they were, they kept telling me, call your doctor. And I said, it's 3am in the US. I can't call my doctor. <laughs> but it was just funny because, you know, Delta, which is what we use a lot here in Atlanta, they have different, um, you know, guidelines than other countries do. So mm. they were just convinced that I was going to give birth on the flight and they did not want to let me on. So. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's, that's, that's an experience. And the other thing, when you started to speak about your two approved 
um, US technology patents. That That's very interesting. That's a great accomplishment, you know. I mean, I've, I've got something that's a, a patent pending at present around mentoring. And it would be great to find out just what 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 was the actual technology that you that you got a patent on? Yeah, so the first one that I worked on, um, and let me be clear, something I tell people all the time is innovation is not about brilliant individuals, it's about brilliant teams. So mm. for both of these patents, I had a very brilliant team of people that we all worked together on the patent. And so the first one was in the financial industry, and it was basically um, go back to go back to like 2000, 2011. It was basically the ability to um, load Groupons, coupons, and everything onto your credit card, and then swipe that at the point of redemption, which would be like a um, point of sale system that people have that you you swipe your credit card in. Or probably in the U.S. uh, or in the U.K., you guys probably put a chip in Mm. and then put in put in your PIN. Um, Mm. But it was the ability to load that. So. The example I always use is if a, if a fella is taking his lady out to dinner and he has $10 off coupon and doesn't mm. want her to know, um, he can load that to his card in advance. And then when he <laughs> checks out, she yeah. never knows that he got a discount on that meal. So it was it was that kind of technology, that ability to, to do that. Mm. Wow. That sounds quite neat. that sounds like a neat technology so so what so gosh just thinking about all the different things that you've done and the things that you're doing and and coming from the background so I know that we'll touch on your background more later or your environment and so forth it must take certain qualities or certain characteristics that enable you to go from where you were to where you are now what would you say some of the traits are that you that you have um that has helped you along your journey yeah you know it's it's interesting so the very first woman entrepreneur i ever saw in my life was my mom um mm. she started her own business when we were i was probably pretty young um you know, maybe four or five. And then she ran that, she ran her own business until I was about 12 or 13. But just, I believe she gave me the confidence to try things and even fail at things and know that failure is not detrimental to your journey. And so just seeing her, um, her ups and downs, her successes and achievements and failures along the way, and knowing that you can always get up from a failure, you can always keep moving, and mm-hmm. success is not overnight. It, it requires um, great passion, great confidence, and um, and really the the ability to continue to move forward despite the odds. And I think that's something that she instilled in me. And then really with my dad, um, he was the person in my life that, that really gave me courage. Um, he helped me to be create courageous and really think ahead. So I just remember, you know, so many times as a teenager, just sitting down and talking through ideas and things I was thinking. And, you know, what about going in this direction? What about going in that direction? And he would always just give me such sound advice that gave me the courage and confidence to move forward. So they were both so different as people and individuals. They just had mm. such different backgrounds. Um, yeah. But they provided me these these two things, that the courage and the confidence to really just try things and to be okay with failing um, and, and to fail forward and, and not let failure be detrimental. Mm. Okay. Uh, talk to me about, 
I mean, the way that you just spoke about failure is is as though failure is a friend, you know, and it's great that you've had that kind of encouragement, that kind of wise counsel and that kind of environment that would help to promote that in your life. Mm-hmm. But what would you say um, is a belief of many around failure? And why do you feel that failure is such a... Um, something to avoid for many people what what are your thoughts on that gosh feel fear of failure is so big it's right up there for people with like public speaking right so <laughs> first is like public speaking then it's failing and i think the reason why is because we haven't been taught um to show other people our scars. We only want to show people our trophies. Mm, And so we only want to say, these are the things I've done well, but we don't want to say, and here's all the scars that it took to get to this trophy. Here's all Mm. the times I fell. Here's all the times I, you know, no one was looking and I was ready to give up. Here's Mm. all the ways that I had to get, you know, from, from here to there on that journey. And so I think one of the things and one of the reasons why we look at it that way, um, you know, I grew up in corporate culture in corporate America and, you know, going to an organization every day and working. And one of the things you, you saw is that if people did fail, sometimes they were fired or sometimes they were demoted or sometimes they were shamed. And so what that does is it creates in us a understanding that I have to hide my failures. And if I don't hide my failures, then I'll be fired. I could lose my livelihood. So when we think about failure, oftentimes the stakes are very high for people. And the fear of failure creates a downstream impact. And if it's not true, even if it's just something that we've seen somewhere else um, or it's been demonstrated somewhere else and it hasn't actually been demonstrated to us. So until we see our leader show their failures and us us learn that it's okay um then we will never be willing to uh step out and try new things and therefore we will not be willing to fail wow what a powerful answer (laughs) gosh (laughs) you know and 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 we're so willing to show our trophies instead instead of showing our scars and i think that that is so i mean that just reminded me of something that i posted on linkedin before because someone asked me um, and it was like a young person shared with me around needing to get leadership and needing to see um, people and leaders showing you know how they overcome failure and how how they got past what they struggled against and what they you know and this young person what they were sharing was almost like there was it was an indictment to the older generation because they were saying show Mm -hmm. us how to get past these things don't just show us your successes show us the things that you failed at and I remember it just reminded me to say that sometimes there's too much glory and not enough gory you know and and, and the reality of it is we need the glory and gory you know because a lot of times it's the journey through the gory that makes the glory greater yes so yes that is great (laughs) well and I think about too like when I've launched products um you know oftentimes everyone gets to see the product launch and how great it looks. Mm. They don't get to see the 20 iterations that I went through where I put it in front of a customer and they were like, this is horrible. I wouldn't buy it. Mm. And you're like back to the drawing board. (laughs) And then you do that again and again and again until you put it in front of a customer and they say, so tell me how much that would be if I Mm. did want that. And that's Mm. your, your buying signal, right? So, so many times I would put, an idea in front of a customer and you could just tell, Hey, I'm not 
sensing or feeling like this is something I want. And those were all the iterations in a product setting I had to go to to get to a place where someone was willing to buy something that I was creating. And, and oftentimes everyone in the organization would get to see the end product and how great it was. But they didn't get to see all the failed PowerPoints that I had pitched and all, all the yeah. drawings that I had done that just didn't work out. Mm. Wow. And I mean, just listening to what you're talking about and your expertise and you're talking about products, you're talking about patents, you're talking about traveling the world. And many of us may not fully understand fully what you're talking about. So what is your area of influence? Share with us some of your yeah. work, what you do, what does a day look like? You know, just share your passion. Just let us know, Natalie. Absolutely. So I grew up in, in the product development area. So essentially, I developed software products. I would partner with a development team, so a team of engineers that would actually code um, the idea. And then I also worked with a team of UX or UI, so user interface or user experience designers that mm. I, I would usually rough sketch something that was very ugly and then give it to them and say, here's the stories that we want the person, the journey we want them to go on as they're using this product. Here's the things we want them to engage with and the way we want them to feel as they interact with this product. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's we want them to feel more confident or we want them to feel capable. How is it we want them to feel when they use this product? Mm -hmm. And then this team that I would work with would bring it all to life. And then I would, you know, through that process, through prototyping, so standing up a model that we would get in front of somebody and asking them to interact with it, we would create products. So, mm -hmm. you know, we did this, I've done this at many, many companies. And so um, now I run the innovation practice as a consultant for Territory Global. So a lot of times what I'm doing is as a vice president of innovation is I'm helping um organization set strategy it could be around products it could be around process it mm. even could be around people mm. with the idea that we're in one place and we need to know how to beautifully design a way to mm. get from here to there and so mm. that's what I'm doing today is taking all that knowledge and putting it into um to helping other organizations stand up you know mm. it could be their digital transformation journey it could be their um, product development process whatever that mm -hmm. is helping them stand that up wow i mean it, it it just sounds so interesting and you know touching base on all these different kind of things that that you've worked on and and, and something that you expressed um, previously where you say I help teams with breakthrough thinking mm -hmm. you, you know tell us a bit more about that that, that sounds like a great term and and I just want to know what that actually is in practice yeah so something that you and I were talking about earlier is in the U.S. there's the Columbia River and in the Columbia River there's this really treacherous part of the river called the bar and there's these bar pilots that come down off of helicopters and they actually navigate the ships over this portion of the bar in the river uh, that could really break their ship if they don't know how to properly navigate through it. So essentially what I do as a, you know, as a consultant is we help people navigate over the bar of whatever strategy they're trying to get out, because this is what we do day in, day out, whereas they may look at strategy once a year or, you know, once every five years. So we literally will navigate in, help them, you know, make sense, 
We're mm. truth seekers. So we want to know the truth. How did, how did this get here? <laughs> like, why is this thing over here when normally at organizations, we see it over there. So we're just mm. asking the right questions, really understanding, helping them identify problems, helping them plan and mm. helping them get towards the right solutions that are going to get them over the bar successfully without busting up the ship, so to speak. Mm. And that is the whole thing around breakthrough thinking. Yes. That's what it's about. Wow. Mm-hmm. You have brought us to a lovely place where we can go on our first break. You know, I just feel you've just shared so much and it's so interesting. And this is where we give people the opportunity to go and put on the kettle or let the dog out or, you know, chase the cat out. I don't know. You know, they just, <laughs> whatever they want to do, you know, go get their, their child or, you know, whatever it is. But we're not going to be away too long in the second half when we come back we're going to give natalie opportunity to share a bit more about her story and you know just the experiences that have made this lady who she is now so listen don't go too far get your water get whatever you're gonna get and we'll be back shortly Finding your path with Natalie Bourne. I mean, I am just so fascinated by a lot of the things that you've shared. Um, I'm always interested in different paths, interested in people's lives, interested in the person behind a professional, you know, and listening to all the different things that you've shared around just the level of travel, the things that you've done to become who you are, the kind of teams that you've worked in, and, and kind of doing the whole STEM piece as well, because a lot of times you say that females are not doing enough STEM. Um, mm-hmm. That's over here anyway. I mean, what's the experience in States? Would you say that that's the same kind of challenge or it's it's something that in States has progressed a lot? It's getting better, but I would say that we have a long way to go. And I, and I even think about the fact that, you know, over the last 20 years of my career, it's not unusual for me to be the only woman at the table or be the only minority at the table in, you know, science, technology, engineering. 
um, mm. it, oftentimes. And so, you know, I've even pushed my daughter to uh, learn how to code and she, mm. she really just loves it. And so she's 11 and, and one of the best mm. coders in her school. Wow. Um because she just, you know, she does it now because she enjoys it, not because I'm asking her to, but, <laughs> but just, but just the idea of getting her um, acquainted to all these different types of, you know, she's, she's really interested in science as well. So she could go in any direction she wants to, but, but at least exposing our children to those things, I think is such an important part of the journey for them. Mm. And I feel, I feel that what you've just shared is so important because the fact that she's she's in your environment, she's been exposed to your passion, she's being able to access what a lot of people probably wouldn't access because it's not their norm. Right. And I feel that that is a great encouragement in of itself. I mean, how long have you really had a passion for, you know, innovation, technology, science and so forth? feel like, you know, when I was growing up, it's so funny. I actually thought that I was going to study genetics. I was so interested in it. I loved understanding DNA. I loved understanding um, how it all comes together. And then mm. what happened was I, I, <laughs> I got into a advanced uh, biology class mm. and all the other students in the class had been in an advanced chemistry class together before that. Mm. And I was out of my depth. I didn't know what they were talking about because they kept relating everything back to chemistry. Mm -hmm. And so I was lost and my teacher was nice enough to say, I'm going to get past you. Just, I'm going to pass you because you showed up every day and you tried. <laughs> but that was the point where I realized I'm probably not going to have a career in the sciences. And that's mm -hmm. actually when I switched my major to business. Mm -hmm. And when I got into business, I, I've, you know, I felt so at home with the concepts and mm -hmm. just the mechanics of how business worked that I ended up just kind of staying there. And then eventually I migrated into product, which was not full-blown engineering, but it's within the technology space and you work with engineers every day. Mm, that's very interesting. I mean, you're saying that uh, because of the different class that you went into, the fact that there's other students that are climatized and made that transition of thinking and experience, but you still got passed because of your consistency. And I guess it was your endeavor as well. But what's interesting when you say you change your major to business, would that have been because of seeing your mother as an entrepreneur or was, was it something else that made you switch to business? I think maybe that was what was going on in the background. Um, but it was also, I think it was also just the realizing that, you know, when, when so many people have been exposed to something that you haven't been exposed to, sometimes it's hard to see yourself um, successful in that area because you feel like there's such a wide chasm to cross. But I would say with, with business, and maybe that's why it was so familiar to me because I was around it every day um, with both of my parents kind of being in that, that business space. So that makes sense now. I never would have thought of that, but that's probably what was going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was thinking, um, even though you knew you needed to change, why did you do the major in business, you know? And, and I just connected the fact that you was in an entrepreneurial environment. And I feel one of the best things and one of the most, one of the most powerful things I feel is that as a parent, being able to create an inspirational or an inspiring environment, because some things are 
caught more than taught and it's it's, it's just like you're saying with your daughter being you know your daughter's around yourself you're you're exposing her to coding now it's a great Mm -hmm. thing that she enjoys it but it's because she's in this environment there's language there's things that you're talking to her dad about there's things that you're talking about with you know people on the phone on zoom or whatever it is and she's picking up all these things and that's helping her to acclimatize to this world and this thinking and I feel we need to to be able to create environments that set up our children for success you know so I feel that that's fantastic that you went from the sciences to entrepreneurialism and it could have been contributed to your parents Mm -hmm. much more than I realized (laughs) yeah with that that's that's what it's all about sometimes you know for me it's all about helping people to connect the dots yeah, and sometimes we're so close to it we can't see the wood from the trees because it's us and when we start looking at things in a different way we start seeing things um, that we wouldn't usually see without support from someone else or some thinking so yeah. I, th- I think one of the things I'm very interested in because you spoke about that must have been what was going on in the background and you never attributed it to it never understood it I would love to understand more about your background you know and how you've made that journey from your background to where you are now yeah you know it's interesting so I think about growing up in Atlanta specifically like a small suburb outside of Atlanta in the 1980s I was our family was one of the only minority families in in that entire area uh, today, the area we grow up grew up in is known as one of the most diverse areas in Atlanta, but at the time it was not. Mm. And so, um, you know, one of the things that I found is that, um, you know, I was not accepted for my race. Um, I was different than others. And that definitely in some ways, um, at first I would allow that to hold me back. Mm. But then there was this, um, there's a little bit of a fire inside of me about it because I started, the older I got, the more I realized that's not my problem. That's actually their problem. Mm. And um, as I got that fire inside of me, I would say it probably burned a little <laughs> too bright. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I had this thing in me of like, I am going to be successful and mm. I don't care what anyone thinks about me. I'm going to be successful. And Mm -hmm. so I just had this fire to, you know, I had my first job at 19 and I was going to college full time. So Mm -hmm. I was just burning the candle at both ends (laughs) Mm -hmm. for years, for years. And I did this and I just, I was getting further faster than any of my peers. But one of the things I think is so important that we have to stop in our life and look at is um, this idea of of poverty. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes when we grew up poor, and I didn't necessarily grow up poor, sometimes we had hard times, but it wasn't like I grew up poor. But if we do, sometimes we overcorrect and we become a workaholic. Um, mm-hmm. And we say, I'm ne- my family's never going to experience what I experienced. And, and then yeah. you become this workaholic. And mm-hmm. you trade financial poverty for relational poverty. So now your wow. kids don't, don't know you because wow. you never see them because you're working so hard. So mm-hmm. what I had to realize in my own life through this, like, I'm just, if it's going to be, it's up to me spirit that I had was that I was actually trading um, relation. I was becoming relationally impoverished Mm. and emotionally impoverished and spiritually impoverished. And so I had to slow it all down and Mm. say, it's not about balance. It's about choices. And what choices Mm. do I need to make 
to make sure I have the right outcomes in the long term, not only with my relationship with my children, but with my husband and just, you know, with my family all the way around, because I could really do this jet setter, get on, you know, a plane, go one place, be somewhere else. And and I could do all that. And I felt really successful, but where were my relationships? Mm, Wow. Okay. I think we need to camp here for a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because the way that you just articulated that, that, oh, I think that that's so big because, I I mean, for myself personally, um, even with like what's been happening with COVID and, you know, people have called it lockdown and so forth. I really made a quite a conscious decision at the start. And I really believe that this was a time for me to, um, really invest in myself and to invest in my family and to, to to really look at where I was and where I wanted to go and where I wanted to be and so forth. And I, so I looked at the time of lockdown or COVID as like a cocoon. Yeah. <laughs> and I looked at it like I'm going to be a di- different creature coming out of it than what I entered it. And I feel even though it's been, you know, it's been a lot of hardship, there's been a lot of challenge, you know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of deaths and a lot of, you know, a a big part of it is just a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety. You know, I'm not really happy about that for a lot, you know, a lot of people and, you know, different places all over the world feeling the same thing. But for me, I felt that this time helped me to refocus and recalibrate and look at what really was meaningful to me. And I started to see that without articulating it in a way that you says, where people become so determined and so um, focused on, I will never be like that, or I'll never let my children have that kind of life that they become. So, so they move from being financially impoverished, but then they become relationally impoverished. And I think that that is such a common accepted experience and many people are experiencing that because they've got to invest so much in their work they've got to do work even when they're not at work they've got to do work in the evenings and so forth and I feel that that's a compromise that many may not realize that they're making and they would they will receive it you know or experience it more in the future and for me I didn't really understand what I was going through, but, you know, I love my family, love my children, love my wife. Um, I've got a very understanding family, you know, to be an entrepreneur, you got to have an entrepreneurial family or yeah. you're going to grow apart, you know, and I decided that I didn't want to grow apart. So success at home has been so important, but I then realized from having to be at home, how much I missed being home, you know? So yes. what you said is so powerful. And what, what do you feel is something that helps people to get beyond the relational um, poverty, you know, as you've experienced, it sounds like you've corrected in an appropriate Mm way. Yeah, I think it's first awareness. So, um, you know, it's, it's having the understanding that if you're not successful at home, you're not successful at work. And that could mean that you just won an award, (laughs) but it doesn't matter because if you're not succeeding at home, you're not succeeding at work. And so I really believe there's, there's five areas that we have to look at in ourselves. It's, Mm. um, it is financial because we don't want to handicap or hurt our family um, from being Mm. able to, to survive. Obviously Mm. it's very important to provide, but 
we don't want to do that to the detriment of our spiritual life, our relational life, our mental and emotional life. And Mm. so those five areas, as we look at them, you know, we need to ask ourselves, are we out of bounds in any one or multiple of these areas? And how much time are we spending on each of these areas? And so it's not that we always have to spend equal time on all of them, but we need to know what we're doing and do it intentionally. So Mm. I want to be intentional with my relationships with my children and my husband. Mm. And so setting aside time um, to spend with each of them and setting aside time uh, as a family um, Mm. to spend together, those things have to be intentional. So they're actually on our calendar and we, Mm. we calendar each week to do these things together. Um, Emotionally and mentally, I have to provide myself capacity at night to think about my day. How did it go? What went well? What didn't go well? Uh, Mm. What do I want to do differently? And just being able to journal when I sit down at night and say, I'd like to change the way I approach this problem when Mm. I approach it again tomorrow because I was a little more aggressive than I want it to be. Or mm. I was a little more, you know, passive than I want it to be. Yeah. So what's what's the assertive way for me to do this? Mm. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I know I knew today was gonna be good. I knew today was gonna be good, but I, I'm really I am just getting some nuggets and I feel it's so important and it comes back to something that we were speaking about before we was recording, you know, just speaking about self-awareness. Yes. And, you know, like a lot of times leaders, you know, to be a great leader, you're going to have to be self-aware. And I really find that a lot of times when we are more reflective and it's something that is more normal for us. It, it, it's something that helps us to be very present in the moment because we're very aware of ourselves. We're aware of what needs to improve or what doesn't need to improve or or so forth. And I've found that even when I've spoken to a lot of people from states, I'm not saying this is exclusive to states, but I have found that when I speak to people that they are more willing to talk on issues that probably are more taboo or more aware of themselves and I'm not you know I don't want to I don't want to exclude or say either or or make a a blanket statement because you know there's people that I speak to a lot of people on my podcast from the UK that they're very self-aware they're very reflective of who they are where they are but I have I have saw a trend you know um, even if it's in, in the industry as well you know where people are a bit more self-aware and I mean, what are your thoughts around that? And have you seen similar patterns um, in, in, in this? I have. I mean, I think I think you're right about the taboo piece. It's it's definitely depending on what region, even what region of the United States you're in. Um, they may be more open than others to talk about certain things. Um, some of the things that typically happen just from a social norm standpoint is typically people will say, if you live in the South of the United States, you're typically a little bit more warm and open and welcoming. And if you live in the North, you're typically a little bit more to the point and, (laughs) you know, a little bit more aggressive. And so um, you do find that even in the United States, because there's so many different regions, you have to adjust your communication style, depending on who you're talking to. And I would say one of the things that, um, a lot of us have been kind of consuming in the United States is Brene Brown and her work on shame and her work on um, just being transparent and authentic. And I think there's this movement, at least in the U S to say, if you can't be an authentic leader, 
a transparent mm-hmm. and vulnerable leader, you're mm-hmm. not really leading. And so it's it's a forcing mechanism that has us have to go in and say, well, what what do you mean? What does that even mean? How am I feeling? How am I mm-hmm. thinking? How am I approaching other people? Mm-hmm. And the idea that if you can start to understand those things, um, COVID has forced us to see people as human. Uh, mm. We are being forced into people's homes to have conversations with them, right? Our, mm. our big boss, we're now seeing our big boss in their house. Mm. And so everybody has has been forced into this, this place of humanity. Mm. And mm. I think in some ways there's a beauty in that that we need to embrace. And, mm. and we need to not allow when things, quote, go away when COVID goes away, not to quote, go back to normal, but Mm. to continue to embrace the humanity that we see in other people, because that's really the only way forward for Mm. us um, as, you know, as a whole is to really understand the humanity in each of ourselves and to embrace that. Mm. Wow. 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 I, I feel this is just, this is just in my ballpark. This is my area of great passion, you know, in a sense of, you know, the mentoring work that I do and the experiences I've had, you know, working with young people, working with parents, working with leaders and so forth. And a lot of times when I had to really make some breakthroughs and inroads with some of the um, most disenfranchised or some that were just disconnected for whatever reason, I, I realized, and this was a massive epiphany for me, and, and, you know, it might sound really simple and straightforward, but when I started to work with young people and started to see that they were, they were people first and students second, mm. that was a breakthrough of thinking for me, you know, yeah. and I could really see that these young people, they've got a life attached to them, they've got a home They've got parents. They've, you know, there's probably experiences at home that are not um, as conducive as they could be concerning their progress. You know, they may, you know, and when you start finding out about the lives of some of the young people, what they're going through, some of them are carers to their parents. Some of them are taking care of their little brothers and sisters. Some of them, you know, and you start seeing that these lives, the lives outside of the educational environment is what's impacting their life inside of it. But it was only when I really, really started to drill into their humanity, start to drill into who they are, how did they feel, who they are as a person. That's what helped me to win their hearts and minds. And I see it's the aim, the, the same as as adults, you know, and, and it's, you know, when I'm speaking to leaders around the workforce as well, is that making sure that people look at their, their people as, you know, people first and professional second, because that's the reality. So you're touching on some stuff here. Gosh, well, and what you're saying to me is so important. And it's a lot of the reason why empathy has become such a big word in the U.S. um, as we do work around empathizing with our customer, with other people. Um, What you're saying is that in order to empathize with someone, you can't compete with them, that you can't see them as a competition. You have to see them as somebody that is a human that you care about and that's important to you. In order to empathize, you have to be asking that question, what do they need? Um, I have to be able to see them for who they are and see the deepest need that they have in order to truly serve them. And that's a mindset switch because in the first part of my career, it was about what do I need? 
How can mm. I be successful? How can I climb this ladder? How can wow. I make more money? How can I go from one level to the next? And now mm. the beauty is I get to look at whoever I'm sitting across from. I'm saying, what do they need? What's mm. motivating them? What's driving mm. them? What's, you know, what's making them confident? What's making them concerned? And mm. being able to flip that and say, we all need acceptance. We all want to be invested in. We all want to be seen. And we mm. all want to be known by somebody. Wow. Wow, you're, you're, listen, Natalie, you're bringing it to, you're going in. Listen, we've already got a limited <laughs> amount of time. This is a round table discussion. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, it's so true. Um, but even as you were saying it, and I know that's true, I was just kind of thinking about what are some of the challenges that's preventing people from seeing the need of others? And I'm, and I'm just kind of going back to some of the, you know, the trains of thought that I've had around. It takes real security to really be able to recognize that people are not your competitor. You know, that means you might be giving people opportunities. You'd be introducing people to, to your network and doing things that's advancing people. It, it, it takes, I, I believe it takes security and it takes a wealth mindset, not a scarcity mindset. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I love that. Yes, 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 yes. Because I say all the time, you know, I, I call it abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset. Mm. An abundance mindset says there's enough for all of us. Mm. And if we can all put our heads together, we can probably even make more. Mm. Um, but the scarcity, that fear mindset says there's not enough. And if I don't take what's mine, there won't be anything left for me. But I, I want to say this. Here's what I found. Um you know, after 20 years in the workforce, I've found that um, I can go to another company and run into people I worked with at a last company. Mm. So what what that means is it matters how I treated them, no matter where they were on, on the ladder. It mattered mm. how I talked to them, how I treated them, because I'm going to see them again. <laughs> and, mm. you know, it may be a case that now they hold my future in their hands and, and they can decide yes or no to whether or not, you know, we're able to work together because of how I treated them before. So mm. when you look at the world as so much bigger and so much vast, it becomes a lot smaller in the sense that we have to be so careful how we treat people and we have to treat everyone with dignity and respect because honestly, this world is big, but it's so small in the sense that you're probably going to run into those people again. So it's, mm. it's, you know, as John Maxwell always says, people don't, care what you know until they know how much you care so that idea that we need to care for people first and then we can impress people with how smart we are later um <laughs> once once they know we care about them yeah and I mm. think that that is so spot on and it just reminds me of um I mean people know that I'm a uh f1 fan you know when I've been just watching the journey of Lewis Hamilton and just I'm just celebrating his his journey, you know, just just seeing someone from the age of eight years old knowing what they want to do and, you know, putting in the work ethic and going all the way to, you know, yesterday watched, when I watched him um, play, I mean, drive yesterday and, and he got his seventh world world championship. So he's the, he's recognised as the most decorated F1 racer ever 
you know, wow. and and that's just a massive, massive thing. You know, when he's come up against a lot of challenges, a lack of diversity in F1, which he's working towards. But he said something very powerful. And what I've always celebrated about him or really admired about him is that he always brings it to the team. When everyone's like, celebrating his accolade he will say you know I couldn't do it without this team you know with this team we could do great things and he says it's not just me you know but I think about those that are back at the factory you know so those that are not even at the race you know those at the factory that those that work in and everyone has helped us to be at this level even like when I go there and, and just the, everyone from from all the people the engineers to the cleaners Everyone is a part of this team that that helps me to succeed, and I just felt that that was so powerful. What you just said about you can go and meet um, people that you used to work with in different places is so important as well. Okay, I'm going to move on because I know that we could continue <laughs> to drink. There's so much life in that conversation, but I want to kind of touch base on something that you said before. You know, something that you shared around the dream in your heart was birthed out of a nightmare. I want to I, I want to find out a bit more about that and and just if you could just share that with with, with me that would be great. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, um, I think for all of us, one of our biggest fears is the fear of rejection. Um, and honestly, I'll go I'll go one step further. Even public humiliation, I think that those things are are nightmares for us. And mm. growing up, I felt like um, I was always put on a stage in a in a not a good way because of my race. Um, Mm. I can just remember different scenes of like, you know, riding home on the bus with um, the kids that lived in my neighborhood and everyone um, piling in and kind of, you know, making fun of me because I was racially different from them. Mm. And I even remember going into middle school and thinking, oh my gosh, I finally see some diversity. When I was about, you know, 12 or 13, Mm. I said, I finally see diversity. And they said, you do not look like us. You do not talk like us. You're not you're not one of us. Mm. And so um, I carried this kind of rejection card around for uh, a good deal of my life. And mm. the goal there was I'm going to reject you before you reject me. Mm. And that was, it's a very hard thing to live that way. Kind of, you're almost living like you have a chip on your shoulder and it's a very um, lone wolf kind of way to live. Mm. And so for me, um, you know, growing up, that was kind of what I dealt with. And, um, that was something that I had to face head on Mm. if I was ever going to have a normal life. Um, and and we talked about those areas of, you know, emotional capacity and mental and relational capacity. I had to not convict people before they ever opened their mouth (laughs) Mm. and say, this person's going to reject me because they look like the person I grew up with who rejected Mm. me. I had to stop that cycle and say, I'm going to give them place to show who they are. Mm. And so I, I really, that was an area that was so important because that was what was driving me. When we talk about that insatiable drive to be Mm. successful, it was, it was looking for, um, it was basically, I was trying to give myself the accolades that I wasn't getting right for just existing. Um, I felt like I was going to prove my worth to people. And what Mm -hmm. happens when you're living like that is eventually you look back and those people are long gone Mm -hmm. and you're, you're asking yourself, well, who am I proving my worth to if those people are not around anymore? And so you have that place where you stop and say, this is unhealthy I've vastly overcorrected in my life to where yeah. I've become this person that I don't even need to be. It's not even who I want to be. Mm. So 
who am I at the core of who I am? What matters to me and who am I? And it's just a different way of looking at your life because it, it asks, it, it requires you to face some demons, (laughs) Um, but it also requires you to, to really understand who you are and how you're wired and understand that while that was a, a, a season of your life, you do not have to let that season define you. Wow. I mean, Natalie, I just really love your self-awareness and I love the, you know, I could tell that you've done the self-work, you know, because some of those experiences you're talking about would have been painful. You know, I remember being young and having people talk to me about my ethnicity, you know, my complexion, Mm -hmm. um, all those different kind of things. And as a young person, it does affect you. You know, as a young person, you do want to be accepted, you know, so being rejected or having that sense of not being embraced can be painful, you know, and and I I feel like what you says, there does need to get to a point in your life where you're, you're looking at what are your motivating factors, you know, because if it's, if it's hatred or hurt or, you know, the need to belong, and it's not checked and it's not mm. put in check and it's not curbed and it's not, you know, reassessed to tell the truth because we're all going to go through our stuff and we all got issues, but issues don't have to have us. Yeah. And, and, and I feel that that is, is so big, you know, what you've shared. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Okay. We're nearly coming to an end now, you know, but I, oh gosh, I just feel there's so much, you know, that we've touched on and so much that we, 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 we can touch on. I mean, now knowing who you are and going through all that you've gone through, traveling all these countries, doing all that you've done, coming from this suburb and working in corporate world, being married, having children, all this kind of stuff now. And with the hindsight you've got now, what would you say to your 21 year old self? Oh, oh my goodness. Yes. I think first and foremost, stop being afraid. I mean, I think for all of us, we may need to tell ourselves that once a day, just to stop being afraid. Because, you know, for me, I was afraid of failure, as we talked about earlier. I was afraid to admit when I was wrong. Um, because, I, again, when I go back to what was the root of that, the root was because if I admit that I'm wrong, then you'll reject me. Mm-hmm. And so, um, don't let people's opinions shape who you are and who you become because, um, you are important. Mm. <laughs> you have purpose. You yeah. matter. Mm. And I think it's so important to give ourselves grace. Um, you know, I think as a society, we do have just high pressure. And so mm. oftentimes we put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect or to deliver or to measure up and just stopping and saying, you know, this is a beautiful life and we only get one life. So we have to live it to its fullest and we have to have the capacity to enjoy life. And if we are just over, you know, extended in all these different areas or trying to prove something to somebody, we'll never truly embrace what we're called to do. We won't have the confidence to be Mm. who we're called to be. So I just, you know, for me, it's just going back and saying, give yourself grace, give yourself time and enjoy the journey. Mm. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. Okay. One more, one more two questions. But, be, but before I do, you know, say that people wanted to 
find out more about you and what you do and, you know, to discover more of this world of, of Natalie Bourne, where would you like to direct them? Yeah, so um, my day job, I work with Territory Global, so you could check out territory.co. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram or Facebook, you can find me at Innovation Meets Leadership. Mm, wow, and you're on LinkedIn as well. I am, I'm on LinkedIn <laughs> as well. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. Okay. Um, if you could do all again, what would you do more of and what would you do less of? Mm. I think one thing that, you know, as you said that I've never thought about this question before, but I would try to do a little bit better job of loving my quote enemies. Um, if we go back to that word empathy, empathy is being able to see others. So all I could see in that scenario was how, mean those people were and how brutally, you know, hurt I was. Mm. But as I look back, um, you know, hurting people hurt people. Mm. So I would do a better job of trying to see them for who they were and trying to love people where they're at today. um, Because that's very important. The only reason people hurt others is because they're hurting themselves and they don't have the capacity to be healed on their own. And so I think that just looking back at those seasons, I would have more grace, more capacity emotionally to, to lean in and maybe even had some hard conversations with people that, that may have helped us to get from here to there. Mm. Wow. I want to say, Natalie, you, you are a leader, you are inspirational and it's great that you was willing to be that pioneer, you know, because when you was thinking, when you spoke earlier about your family being one of the few in that locality, but then that location is now a, a place of great diversity. It just made me think of your family as a pioneering family and you wow. having to do what you're doing now, you're pioneering, you know, you're breaking, you're breaking the norms, you're going into areas that you're, you're representing people that are not always in a certain room or a certain environment or giving access to certain opportunities and as you said for a long time it was something that you probably wasn't necessarily comfortable with but then you realize that maybe this is because you're able to be um, someone that can dream that you can do the impossible and to and to make the impossible possible so I just want to say thank you for your representation thank you for doing the work because it takes the work on the inside to be able to go through a lot of this stuff and end up being better instead of being bitter, you know, yeah. and being able to be a representation to young girls, to ladies, to females, to women that want to do the work that you're doing in STEM, the work that you're doing in in technology and to make them know that it's all possible. So your journey means so much and you are succeeding for many people, even though you may not realize it a lot of times, your success is being a catalyst for others to try and succeed in the areas that you've already succeeded in. So I want to say thank you for all you've done. And I want to say continue doing the great work that you've done so far. Thank you, Herman. It's been a joy. Wow, wow, wow. 
I want to say thank you to our audience for being with us today and listening to Natalie Bourne. Um, she has really given us all a lot to think about, you know. And one thing I would like to even pose to everyone is, have you traded um, the abundance of relationship for the abundance of finance? You know, are you experiencing relational poverty for having you know, financial success, and is that okay? You know, I feel, and I just felt that I needed to ask that because us being leaders, us doing all things that we're doing, and, and I've spoke to a lot of leaders, and they, they've shared some of these things, but I feel it's just been eloquent, you, 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 the way that um, Natalie shared it today. So I just want to ask, and I want to say, just put put into practice and implement some of the things that you feel to be wise counsel that Natalia shared today. And thank you for being with us. And I look forward to you joining us again next week on Finding Your Path. Take care.